Hello, friends, and welcome to the PrepWell podcast. I'm your host, Phil Black. And if you have an 8th, 9th, or 10th grader with big aspirations, like the Ivy League or military service academies like West Point, ROTC, or athletic scholarships, boom, you've come to the right place. My specialty, my superpower, if you will, is preparing families for these competitive programs. I'll teach you what your child should do, when they should do it, and how you can help. So stick around and prepare to out-prepare. Hello, friends, and welcome to the show. Today, I'd like to talk about how extracurricular activities can turn a a ho-hum application into a a home run application. That's my homemade sound effects for the crack of a bat for a home run. This particular episode was inspired by a recent meeting I had with one of my private PrepWell students. Let's call him John. John has been enrolled in PrepWell Academy since he was a freshman. So he's listened to and he's implemented the advice in my online program for two years. And now he's beginning his junior year and he's part of my mentoring program where I work with him one-on-one all the way to the end when he submits his final applications. So John knows the deal. He's followed the program, he's done the right things, and he has set himself up for success. However, to meet his current level of ambition, there were some things that I thought that he should think about over the next 9 to 12 months to really seal the deal. So we got together and I evaluated where he is today and what he might want to focus on going forward. This particular meeting is what I call a checkup meeting, where I run through a student's entire body of work, starting at the top with the big three. I've mentioned the big three before. That is grades, the rigor of the classes that you take, and standardized test scores. And moving all the way down the application to letters of recommendation and essays and supplemental essays. And by the way, if you want to see a template of this worksheet that I use personally during these check-in sessions, feel free to get in touch with me and request what I call the college admissions snapshot. I'll be happy to send you one. It's basically a one-page worksheet with all of the items that comprise a student's body of work by the time they apply to college. I literally start at the top and slowly work my way down to the bottom to make sure we haven't missed anything. And if you've never done this before, I highly recommend it. I use this worksheet with students as young as 8th and ninth graders. Now, there are some things on the worksheet that aren't quite as relevant for an 8th and ninth grader, but I'd like to give them an overview early so that it raises their awareness about what's to come. All right, let's get back to John. John happens to have his sights set on a very few selective colleges. I'd call them top 12 colleges in most rankings. Now, this is important because the advice I give him is geared toward this level of selectivity. If your son or daughter isn't interested in going to a top school, then you should feel free to adjust the intensity of my recommendations down a little bit. Just turn the volume down just a little bit. The truth is, I have no idea if John will take me up on any of these recommendations. I'll know a year from now, but as of today, I just don't know. Lots of students nod their heads and say, yes, 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 until it's time to execute. And as I like to say, until it's Monday morning and they actually have to do stuff. Then I see a separation between the students who say they want to compete at the highest levels and students who actually do the work, who actually do what it takes to actually get there. And mind you, 
it's not my role to force kids to do stuff. My job is to motivate them, maybe, hopefully, and expose them to ideas and options and creative ways to think about their future. And hopefully I'm providing them with a perspective that they hadn't thought of before. In fact, I'm going to make myself a note right now to create a follow-up episode which tracks these ideas. I basically want to figure out if John actually does any of these ideas. And it might also be interesting for me right now to take a guess as to whether I think he'll actually implement these things. So I'm going to note that down. I'll come back to it later. So let's get into this. John goes to a private high school that's very focused on college prep. In fact, I think he told me that they have two or three full-time college prep counselors on staff. But as I think you'll see, I will be giving very specific advice that most high school guidance counselors and even college prep specialists in high school may not have the time to provide to these students. So John has been a diligent prep weller, as I've said. He's followed my advice on building good study habits and selecting appropriate classes and how to manage his time and how to prioritize tasks. And he's done very well in school. He's got a 4.5 GPA. He's taken very rigorous classes, a good mix of AP and honors classes. He got over a 1,400 on his PSAT 10, which he took last year as a sophomore. And he's studying for his first official SAT, and PSAT for that matter, that he will take in the next few weeks. Boom. John has done all the right things so far. He's taken challenging classes. He's gotten good grades. He's projecting to do well on the PSAT and the SAT. And he's taking them early enough so he'll have plenty of time to recover and take another one if necessary. Remember, these components are what I call the big three, the GPA, the rigor of the classes, the test scores. John has crushed the big three. There's not much more he could have done with respect to these three metrics. But now remember, friends, for those of you who are playing at home, doing well on the big three is a given at highly selective schools. You're not going to get any extra credit for these types of numbers. You're not going to get merit aid. You're not going to get money. You're not going to get anything. Every viable candidate that applies typically has a strong GPA, good classes, good SAT score, and ACT score. This is simply the price you have to pay just to crack the door open. It doesn't mean that John's getting in, not by a long shot. It just means that John has cracked the door open and he's peeking inside. So what else does John need to do to get through that admissions door? Well, the very next thing on the worksheet after the big three, and assuming you make it through the filter, as I call it, is called extracurricular activities. We've talked about this before. They're known as ECs. This is what separates the men from the boys, the women from the girls. This is the area where an applicant can create separation from others, where differentiation happens, where your child has a chance to paint a picture about who they are, what they care about. Because the big three is all about the numbers. There's very little room for interpretation. It's all very objective and in some ways unforgiving. The child has either performed or they haven't. But in the EC section, there's a lot more room to operate. Now, before we jump into John's ECs, I want to take a minute to explain what is going through the mind of an admissions officer while they're reviewing your child's application for the 10 to 12 minutes that they have. They will review the big three. That should take about 30 seconds. They very quickly will get an idea of your child's intellectual horsepower. 
And if they pass that screen, then they move on. Now their goal is to figure out where your child might fit into the class. Well, what does that mean? Colleges are trying to fill slots, of which they have a limited number in most cases, especially at these top schools. And they have a pretty good idea about what types of students they're looking for to meet what we call their institutional goals. For example, they may want to keep the gender split at 50-50 or close to 50-50, half females and half males. So that just wiped out half of John's potential slots. Okay, moving on. Then they have a carve-out for athletes, international students, sexual orientation. Then they may have targets for certain major preferences, for instance. They may have just opened up a new applied physics major, so now they're looking for students to fill that major, and the process gets more and more granular. And of course, each college has their own criteria for what they will use to build their class, and it's not that easy to figure out exactly what types of spots or how many each college is trying to fill. This information is not necessarily something that colleges disclose in any level of detail. But what it does mean is that your child needs to take a stand. They need to represent something. When an admissions officer reads their application, they have to have a picture in their mind of where your child might fit into the class. Are they an athlete or a piano player or a first-generation college student or an applied physics expert? What your child does for their extracurriculars goes a long way in painting this picture. Another factor is what major preference your child selects. Ideally, a student will connect their major preference with their ECs. In other words, can the admissions officer see the link between what an applicant claims they want to study and what they've actually done during their high school career? The closer the connection, the better. Sometimes we refer to this as alignment. Let's see how this works in practice by looking at John's ECs and major preference, and our job is to determine how tightly connected these two are. So I asked John what he thought he might want to major in, and he said engineering. Okay, so we're going to file that away for right now. Then I asked him to review his ECs just to see where he stands today, and here's what he reported. Number one, he's an Eagle Scout. Awesome. That's a good start. Number two, he's a varsity lacrosse player. Okay, another good one. Now, mind you, he's not a recruited athlete, so he wouldn't be caught up in, in a supported athlete role in terms of the, the recruiting process, but he does play varsity lacrosse. He's the vice president of the Latin Club. He's a National Honor Society member, and he volunteers at soup kitchens, local soup kitchens. Okay, now as an admissions officer, how easy or hard is John making it for you to decide what slot he would fill in the class. From the somewhat limited information that we have thus far, do you feel like you know exactly who John is? What motivates him? What he stands for? What his career aspirations might be? What he's passionate about? What he might do when he arrives on campus? What clubs he might join or start? What type of research he might pursue? Think about it. And remember, the clock is ticking. You now have about, oh, eight minutes left to make up your mind. Does John deserve further attention? The answer is no, at least not in his application as it stands right now. He doesn't, he really doesn't. I would not be convinced 
that John has proven to me as an admissions officer at a top 12 school that he really knows what he wants to do or that he fits in a particular slot at my school. Now, if this was your son, I could see you getting a little bent out of shape because you know how hard John worked to get those grades and that SAT score and the commitment required to become an Eagle Scout and a varsity lacrosse player, and you've witnessed the sacrifice and the late nights. And you might be wondering, what do these schools expect? Well, newsflash, they expect a lot. There are 2 million students who graduate from high school every year, and many of them are very motivated. And if your son or daughter wants to compete, they have to go that extra mile. This is the same type of competition that they will face in the real world, and much worse. There's going to be more than those 2 million students every year. As John reviewed his ECs, I took notes, and when he was done, I shared this information with him, and I told him that if he didn't add to his ECs in the next 10 to 12 months, that he would have very little chance of getting into one of these top 10 or 12 schools. I couldn't really tell if he was surprised or not, but body language-wise, he did sit up in his chair. I think he was a little surprised. I think that he thought that he was doing all the right things, and that he was going to be a shoe-in to get into a prestigious school. So I shared with him exactly what I just mentioned above, and I told him that given his current profile and trajectory, I, as an admissions officer, would not know how to characterize him. I would not know what slot to put him in. That's a problem, because the admissions officer has to pitch you to other members on the selection committee. And if you make it really hard for me as an admissions officer to understand who you are and where you might fit in, how are they going to be able to advocate for you? Then I started to ask John some probing questions such as, hey, John, why did you pick engineering as your preferred major? And he said, well, I like math, and my math teacher said that engineers will be in high demand and they should be good at math, and it sounded like there's going to be a lot of jobs available for engineers in the future. That was it. So I continued, well, do you know what engineers do? And he said, not really. I mean, they, they design and build and make things. I said, well, do you know what kind of engineering you might be interested in? And he said, well, I'm not really sure what you mean. So I continued, well, there are a lot of types of engineers. There's mechanical and electrical and software and chemical and systems. Do you know anything about these different types? And he said, well, not really. You know, maybe I'd pick mechanical engineering because... That's what my uncle does. And I said, okay, are you a handy guy, John? Do you fix things around the house? Do you work on your own car, change your oil, change your windshield wipers? Have you built your own computer? Do you like to take things apart and put them back together? And he said, well, not in particular. Not too many things break in my house, so I haven't really had the chance. And I said, well, are you good with tools? Do you have your own set of tools? He said, no, my dad has some tools in the garage, I think, but I don't have my own. At this point, I realized that John didn't really know that much about engineering or mechanical engineering at all. And by the way, I wasn't picking on him or making him feel bad. I was simply trying to get to the bottom of why he claimed that he wanted to be an engineer and had virtually nothing else in his ECs that would support that notion. And as we talked some more and I explained what mechanical engineers actually did, and what type of classes, and work, and projects, and careers that might lead him to, he actually started to get kind of excited. Now, this was a good sign. I saw a spark there. This spark is what needs to show up in the application. 
because right now the application is flat. It's, it's DOA. It's dead on arrival. I then proceeded to give John a bunch of ideas. Some were practical and cheap and easy, and some were a bit more involved and elaborate and time-consuming, and in some cases a little bit more expensive. But the bottom line was, if John wanted to compete, he had to paint a better picture. So here is my list of suggestions that John could do in the next 10 to 12 months that I believe would provide a compelling, what I call, pattern of interest that would be consistent with his major preference. So for one, I would strongly consider changing his major preference from engineering to mechanical engineering. Engineering to me just sounds too generic. It paints a very blurry and non-specific picture. I want specifics. I want details. Here were some of my suggestions. What if John ordered a do-it-yourself drone kit from the internet and put it together in a few weeks by himself and then learned to fly it? What if he looked up a store on Google that provided drone repair services and volunteered to sweep the floors and take out the trash in exchange for learning about drone repair? What if you bought an old classic car and spent the summer repairing and restoring it to its original shape? What if he took flying lessons? What if he got a certification in small engine repair? What if he volunteered to apprentice with a local plumber or carpenter or handyman? What if he listened to 15-minute TED Talks every morning on his 40-minute commute to, to school about engineering? What if he started going to garage sales and estate sales and picking up used tools to build his own tool set? What if he asked his parents if they knew anyone who worked at an engineering firm so that he could propose working as an intern or at least set up an informational interview? What if he took an online course in mechanical engineering? What if he completed every Khan Academy module related to engineering? What if he started a drone club at school or a mechanical engineering club at school? What if he joined the robotics club? What if he went to the dump and picked out, I don't know, 10 to 12 small items that he could take apart and see their inner workings? What if he went to Google and typed in projects for budding mechanical engineers? What if he emailed a professor of mechanical engineering at a local college and asked to have lunch with him or her to discuss their work? What if he searched YouTube for free mechanical engineering tutorials? What if he built something from scratch? What if he spent his lunchtime at school working in the metal shop or the auto repair bay? What if he dusted off his old bike in the garage and converted it to an electric bike? I mean, I think you get the point here. I'm just making things up. I could go on and on and on. Now, just imagine if John took me up on any of these ideas, how much better his ECs would look, how much ammunition he would have when writing his essays and supplemental essays and in interviews. How much more focused would he look? If you were an admissions officer and you saw a handful of the ECs that I just mentioned, would you have a clearer picture about what slot John might fill? Would it be easier to advocate for John and committee if he did any of these things? Of course it would. These activities paint a very clear picture about what John is interested in and where he would fit in in the class. This doesn't mean, however, that he will automatically get into any school he wants. But if a school is looking for someone with a passion for mechanical engineering, he'd be a great candidate. If John chooses to take my advice, he is guaranteed to learn a lot along the way. In fact, 
he might even learn that he doesn't like mechanical engineering. During his research, or his internship, or his watching his TED Talks, he actually might find out that he was more interested in electrical engineering. Awesome! That sounds like the making of a college essay, why I turn from mechanical engineering to electrical engineering. That's great stuff. That outcome would be terrific. Better to find this out now versus three years into college. John was getting excited as I rattled off a few of these ideas for him, but I was still unsure whether this was actual interest or just him being polite, because I was getting kind of fired up myself, and I, I, I couldn't really tell where reality was versus, versus just, uh, just modeling my energy. And as I told him, John, listen, if you wake up tomorrow morning and taking action on any of these suggestions is sheer agony, and you're not motivated, and this just gets put on the back burner, this could be a sign. This could be a sign that you're not actually that interested in mechanical engineering. If you're actually interested in this topic, this field, every one of these suggestions should move you to action. I can't force you to actually do anything. Your parents can't force you to do anything. Only you can take these steps. And you have about 10 months to go. Do I think John will implement any of these suggestions? If I'm being honest, probably not, actually. I'm not convinced from my conversations with him that he actually likes mechanical engineering enough to pull the trigger on any of these things because most of them require a lot of initiative and resourcefulness. I think he likes the idea of mechanical engineering, but taking action is a different story. Does this make John a bad guy? No, it just means that this topic isn't exciting enough to get him motivated to do stuff. Why would a college risk giving John a slot as an ME major, mechanical engineering, when they aren't convinced that he cares that much about it himself. Now, John's lucky. He still has a fighting chance to be competitive because we're addressing these gaps early enough in high school. If he gets busy in the next 10 to 12 months, he can turn this application from ho-hum into home run. This is the type of mentorship and the types of suggestions that I provide in my online program called Preppel Academy. And while the advice that I provide can't be quite as tailored and specific as it was with John, because he's a private student of mine and I spend a lot of time with him, it's still well worth the investment in order to set your child up for success and to dig out some of these issues. Now, I want you to imagine if John had started thinking about all this stuff in the middle of junior year or even senior year, when most students do, if they do it at all. As you might guess, he would have no shot. That's why I'm so passionate about encouraging 9th and 10th graders to get on board early when it matters most. So they'll have a fighting chance to get their ducks in a row in time to make a difference. Okay, that's a wrap for today's episode, folks. I hope you enjoyed it. If you did, please subscribe to the podcast. It really helps us grow. Share it with a friend who you think might find it valuable. And if you feel the urge, please give us a review. If you liked this particular show with this type of case study and analysis, please let me know. I have tons of examples of students with all kinds of different backgrounds and experiences that we can break down piece by piece. Until next week, goodbye, good luck, and never stop preparing. This podcast is brought to you by PrepWell Academy. 
Prepl Academy is my one-of-a-kind online mentoring program that delivers to your ninth or 10th grader a short, highly relevant video from me every week, every Sunday, in fact, where I give them a heads up about what they should be thinking about to stay ahead of the game. To get these valuable lessons into your child's hands, please head over to prepwellacademy.com and enroll your child today.